Have you ever been on the receiving end of a broken promise? Like, you know, uh, a little kid, mom or dad tells him that we'll pick you up at 7, and you're sitting there at your friend's house, and it's about 7.30, and you're wondering, where's mom, where's dad? Or a teenager uh, is, has a group of friends, and one of the friends says, hey, we'll text you where we're going to be. And you're waiting for the text, and waiting for the text, and the text never comes. A broken promise. Or a couple is getting married, and they come down the aisle, and they stand before the pastor, and they share their vows, and they say, until death do us part. And then one or the other, years later, wants a divorce. Broken promises. I can remember back in 1977, I like to kind of keep the 70s theme going. Back in 1977, um, I was on the receiving end of both my dad's and my mom's broken promise within about five, ten minutes of one another. My dad promised, everything will be fine. And my mom said, you're safe now. What happened was, um, when we moved to the house in Franklin, my, my, uh, we, we had this back pasture, and uh, there were beehives on the pasture. And they were in the center of the pasture, and my dad wanted to move the beehives off to the edge of the pasture so that, uh, you know, they're kind of out of the way a little bit. And uh, so he had one of those beehive smokers, and uh, he wanted me to smoke the beehives so we could move them. So um, he got dressed up in his bee outfit, equipped with the whole, you know, fence around the face, nice, nice wide hat, all the, you know, the, the Tyvek-type clothing that, you know, bee stings can't go through. But he only had one suit. And so he gave me, at 11, 12 years old, he gave me one of his big coats and a baseball cap and jeans. And uh, he said, now, when we get to the beehive, I want you to uh, take the smoker and I'm going to lift the lid a little bit and then you're just going to smoke inside the beehive. And I said, well, Dad, I don't have... You know, I don't have one of those screens over my face. And he said, you're going to be fine. So I'm walking out to the beehive with him, with my smoker, you know, and, and uh, we get to the beehive. And he said, now, and you know, bees are flying around me now, and they're kind of wondering what we're doing up so close. And I'm trying to keep my cool, you know, okay. So he says, okay, now I'm just going to lift the lid a little bit, and you just smoke inside there. So i am got my smoker ready. And he lifts the lid, and I'm not kidding you, five million bees, <clears throat> all of a sudden just whoosh, they just come rolling out of the top right at me, and I like, ah, and I start pumping away, you know, and then I like freak out because there's like bees everywhere, and I just turn and I just start running, and I'm running as fast as I can. I still got the smoker in my hand. I kind of was like a locomotive, you know, I'm like, pop, 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 pop. 
And these bees are like all around me. I dive through the barbed wire electric fence. I'm running to the house. I'm screaming my head off. You know, I got to get into the house. I finally get in the house. My mom and my older sister meet me there. And, uh, you know, there's a few bees that got in the house with me. And they are swatting them and killing them. And then my, dad, my mom calms me down. She sits me down on a chair. She calms me down and she says, you're safe now. So I'm calling, okay, okay. I'm safe now. And then all of a sudden, I heard a couple more monsters. They had gotten under my hat, in my hair. There was like three or four of them. Why? Flip off my hat. They get my sister and my, my mom get, and they swat, you know, they kill the bees. But I'm telling you, in a matter of just moments, you'll be fine, and you're safe now with promises that were broken. Now, you would think that if a parent tells you that everything is going to be all right, that you would believe them, that you could trust them, that what they said would be 100% true. The fact of the matter is, no one can keep their promises 100% of the time. Uh, what those bees did were beyond the control of my dad and my mom. Only the Lord is 100% trustworthy. Only the Lord can make a promise all the time and it will come to pass. This morning, we are concluding our series through the book of Micah. And uh, as we come to the last 12 verses, I think it is, we will see four promises that the Lord makes that we can certainly bank on, that we know He is or will keep them. And so the first promise that we're going to see this morning is that God promises to rescue us. God promises that he will rescue us. Micah, at the end of the book of Micah, basically puts every one of us on an equal plane, making it clear that every single person is in need of God's rescue. So go with me, if you will, to Micah chapter 7, if you have a Bible handy. Otherwise, you'll see that I have the scriptures here up on the screen. Micah chapter 7, beginning at verse 9. Micah 7, verse 9. He starts this way, I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him. Now, many commentaries point to the fact that what Micah is doing here in the end is he's personifying Israel. In other words, he's, he's talking as if Israel, the nation of Israel, is a person. And what he's going to get at here is how their relationship with God is restored through the Lord's rescue. And so, to begin, the Jews in Micah's day were in unison at confessing their sin against the Lord. And if you've been tracking with me over the last several weeks, I think it's been five weeks now, uh, you will know that the nation of Israel had a lot of sins to confess. Of Some of the great ones were uh, the sin of injustice and the sin of greed and the sin of a lack of generosity, and the sin of oppression. 
And here at the end of the book of Micah, they now finally are confessing their sin. Now, before we go wagging our finger at those bad Jewish people back then, we need to notice something about what Micah did here uh, in this verse. Look at again in verse 9, the pronoun that he uses. He says, I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him. Micah includes himself. Before we kind of go, yeah, they're all bad out there, but I'm not too bad myself, we need to be reminded of the Apostle Paul's words in Romans 3.23. Some of you know it. For all have sinned, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us are in need of his rescue from, as Micah puts here, from the indignation of of the Lord. You know, the Hebrew language is like a picture language. If you study the Hebrew language a bit, you realize like the, the language paints pictures. And this word indignation is the best we can come up with when it comes to our English language. But if you use the picture language of the book of Hebrew or the, of, of the language of Hebrew, you realize that what it's talking about is like a raging sea. Now, we've noticed in the news this past week that Hurricane Matthew has kind of, you know, hit our East Coast. And if you've watched TV or saw on the internet or anything, some of the pictures of the ocean and the raging ocean that seems to be attacking the East Coast, uh, that imagery that you see on TV is an imagery that, the, that, that Micah was trying to paint for the anger that God has against our sin, the anger that he has against it. And with all the injustices that the Israelite people inflicted on their, on their people, on their fellow co uh, countrymen. Um, look at where this offense of our sins is directed. Notice what it says at the end of that section that we've been looking at. Micah says, because I have sinned against him. Oftentimes when we think of sin, we think it hurts me to sin. Or we think we hurt others when we sin. But the fact of the matter is, first and foremost, our sin is against God. It's against God. And yet, look who we then turn to to save us, to rescue us from, from our sins. Um, the end of verse 9 says this, Until he pleads my case and executes justice for me, he will bring me out to the light, and I will see his righteousness. You see the pronoun he's using here? Until he, God, pleads my case. And he will bring me out into the light. And it's his righteousness that I will see. You know, in all other religions, as human beings, the, 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 what, 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 what our actions are doing in all other world religions is that we're trying to get to God and have a relationship with him. We're trying to reach out and say, relate to me, relate, relate to me. I'll, I'll do these things, I'll act this way. I just want to relate to you. But with Christianity that's rooted in Judaism in the Old Testament, it's quite the opposite. It's God who, even though we've offended him, reaches down and says, I want to relate to you. I, I, want, I want you to know me. I want, to, I want you to know my love. I, I want to have a relationship with you. He's so driven by that that he sends his one and only son, Jesus, to the earth. And Jesus comes, lives a perfect life. And then as we just celebrated in communion, he died to pay our penalty, 
to really bridge the gap between us and God the Father. He paid the penalty to God the Father for our sins that we've committed against Him to rescue us, to save us, to give us this eternal life, which is a relationship with Him that starts today and lasts forever. The first promise that we see in this section is that God promises to rescue us. All you have to do is believe. All you have to do is trust that, yeah, He died for me. He rescues me. He offers me the gift of eternal life, and all I have to do is receive it by faith. Just trust. Trust in Him alone, and we will be saved. We'll be rescued. Well, the second promise is this. God promises to be king. Now, we've talked over and over again throughout the last weeks about the corruption of nations, that you see it in history, and, uh, and we know from the scriptures that it's true that nations rise and fall, and there has never been on this planet a single nation or kingdom in all of world history that has actually had perfect righteousness. And yet, the God of Israel, the one true God, more specifically, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is Israel's Messiah and their future king, his throne will be established physically on the earth in Israel. And we will see his righteousness, as he says here at the end of verse 9. Uh, I will see his righteousness. And then he goes into verse 10, and he says, Then my enemy will see, and shame will cover her head, who said to me, who said to the nation of Israel, where is your God? My eyes will look on her, will look on my enemies. At that time, she, the enemies, will be trampled down like mire of the streets, like the mud of the streets. And then jump over to verse 16. He goes on to explain this further. Nations will see and be ashamed of all their might. They will put their hand on their mouth. Their ears will be deaf. They will lick the dust like a serpent, like reptiles of the earth. They will come trembling out of their fortresses. To the Lord our God they will come in dread and they will be afraid before you, God. You know what all of this is? This is a warning against nations who may be strong and mighty but yet are enemies of Israel. Uh, the Jews. The reality is if any nation knows what's good for them, they will treat Israel, they will treat the Jews like the apple of God's eye because that's how God describes them. For Jesus will return and he will be king and those nations that are against Israel, they will cover their mouth like he says. They will lick the dust like a serpent, like reptiles of the earth because they treated Israel with contempt. Notice at the end of verse 17 again. To the Lord our God they will come in dread, and they will be afraid before you. Kind of reminds me of something that the Apostle Paul wrote in the New Testament. Go with me, if you will, over to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verse 9, it says this, For this reason also God highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, 
of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every knee will bow. The fact of the matter is, Jesus is going to return. And he is going to be the king of this earth. And whether you are a homeless person barely able to survive, or you are one of the mighty rulers of our world, every single knee will bow before Jesus as the king. Now, we have a choice. We can either do it willingly, and we can start today. Let him be the king and lord of our life today. That would be the recommended route. Another route would be, I'm just going to ignore him, or I'm, just going to, I'm not going to believe in him, I'm not going to do anything about it. And then there will come a day when you will be forced to bow your knee to him. Mm. Which will we choose? Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Well, the only way one can be a king is if he has a kingdom to rule over. You can claim to be king, but if you are not ruling over a kingdom, it means nothing. And so the third promise is this, that God promises to establish a kingdom. God promises to establish a kingdom. Back in Micah chapter 7 and verse 11, this is to Israel, Micah writes these words. It will be a day for building your walls, this kingdom. On that day, your boundary will be extended. It will be a day when they will come to you from Assyria and the cities of Egypt, from Egypt even to the Euphrates, even from sea to sea and mountain to mountain. Now, it's very, very important to understand these geographical locations or these geographical markers. Notice he says uh, from Assyria to Egypt and then from Egypt back up to Assyria, more specifically uh, in Assyria, the Euphrates River. Now, um, I actually have a map here to show you. See the Euphrates up there, right above the word Syria. And the Nile down there, of course, in Egypt. This whole land, from the, from the Nile River to the Euphrates, this entire land, he's saying, this is how I'm going to expand your borders. Now, the reason why he says this is, needs to be found back in the history of Israel, which goes back all the way to Genesis chapter 15 and verse 18. Genesis 15, 18 says this, On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, who would later be known as Abraham, saying, To your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt, that would be the Nile, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. Now that landmass, once again on this map, this landmass, this is how big your kingdom and the descendants of you, Abraham, the Jewish people, this is how big your kingdom is going to be from that river to that river. I can tell you that that has never been fulfilled yet. And However, uh, um, it will happen in a time that the Bible, that we know in the Bible, known primarily as the millennial kingdom or the thousand-year reign of Jesus on this earth. The Lord is going to restore the earth. He's going to take what is desolate and make it beautiful, uh, primarily because of the harsh treatment that the earth receives from us. That's why he writes in verse 13 of Micah 7, and the earth will become desolate because of her inhabitants on account of the fruit of their deeds, how they treat the earth. You know, we talk a big game about how we take care of the earth, don't we? I mean, I recycle. There you go. Uh, 
You know, uh, but I wonder how, how well do we do at having dominion over the earth, having uh, our leadership of the earth where we're treating our earth well. Um, sometimes it's difficult to lead on our earth and over creation than, than what we're able to do. Like, for instance, um, when I was a single guy, um, I had a roommate, roommate, his name was Paul. Actually, I had three roommates. I had Paul, and then we both had a dog. Paul had a yellow lab named April, and I had a black lab named Madison. So can you think of this apartment? I mean, you, you rent, so you know. So this upper flat above a three-car garage with April, Madison, Paul, and me. Well, I made a promise to Paul one day. I said, Paul, I'm going to take April and Madison, and I'm going to go down to Grant Park. Now, some of you know where Grant Park is, south of Milwaukee. Beautiful park. It's this high, like, cliff, this high hill that goes down to the water, and then there's this beach, and then, of course, Lake Michigan. And so I'm, I said, I'm going to take the dogs to Grant Park. I'm going to run around with them a little bit, throw sticks out in the water. Anybody know about a Labrador retriever? They love to retrieve things, so you throw a stick out. And uh, it was great because they'd, like, rush out there and, like, fight who's going to bring the stick back to me, and then they'd get back to me and drop the stick at my feet. It was, you know, picturesque. You know what I'm saying? So I bring the dogs, and I say, I'm, I'm going to go to Grant Park with the dogs and take him, have him go swimming and stuff. I'll, we'll, we'll be back in a couple hours. So, so we leave. We go down there. And I'm having a great time with the dogs. I get them on the leash, and I bring them to the hill, and we get down the hill. I release them off the leash. And uh, they're running up and down the beach. We're having a great time. I'm throwing the sticks out. Everything's working out just great. We go, we go to come back, and um, <clears throat> I'm coming up the hill. Now, if you've ever been at Grand Park, it's a, it's a high hill. I mean, it, it's hard. You know, it takes a little effort to get up. But the dogs, of course, are dogs, so they can run up hills like, you know, there's no tomorrow. Well, I'm going up the hill, and April and Madison go bolting up the hill above uh, uh, ahead of me, and I see a guy standing at the top of the hill, like at the end of the trail, and he's standing at the top of the hill. And, of course, these are Labrador Retrievers. Everybody is their buddy. You know, so they go up and they're saying hi to this guy and they're just loving this guy and he's petting them and I'm coming up the hill trying to catch up. Okay, yeah, you know, and I'm kind of dying coming up. Well, all of a sudden I see the guy grab both of their collars and then he turns around and starts walking away with them. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, something ain't right, right? So I start running up the hill. By the time I get to the top of the hill, this guy had April and Madison, and he was putting them in the back of his truck, closing up the back of the truck, had a top cab thing, closed that down. I'm running after them toward the parking lot. Hey, 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 Guy gets around in his truck and takes off. I run to my car. I get in the car, and just like the movies, no, I added that. That didn't actually happen. So, <laughs> so I get in the car. And I'm trying to find him. I mean, by this time, he's gone. I cannot find the truck. So now i got to go back to the apartment and tell Paul I broke my promise. See, I promised that all of us would be back in a couple of hours. But the dogs were stolen. We called the police. We called the Humane Society. We did everything. We drove around, all around by Grand Park trying to find that truck somewhere. Never found April and Madison again. You know, we're called to have dominion. Part, part of having dominion over the animals is that we protect them. We take care of them. We treat them kindly. And yet, I didn't protect April and Madison. 
I let them run up the hill without putting their leashes back on them. And I wonder on a broader scale, how are we doing at treating our planet? We're called to care for it. But you know what's interesting? The Bible teaches that when Jesus returns and sets up his kingdom, all of creation is going to be renewed. Like the deserts are going to blossom. And the wolf and the lion and the leopard, they're going to lay down with the lamb and the goat and the calf. And according to Isaiah eleven six, and a little boy will lead them. What a wonderful picture. Even little children will practice dominion over creation. God promises a beautiful kingdom that will be full of splendor and full of peace. But until that day, there's one more promise from God out of the book of Micah. The fourth promise is this. God promises to be our shepherd. God promises to be our shepherd where he will lead our lives if we let him. Look at verse 14. Micah prays this to the Lord. Shepherd your people with your scepter, the flock of your possession, which dwells by itself in the woodlands, in the midst of a fruitful field. Let them feed on Bashan and Gilead as in days of old, as in the days of old. By the way, Bashan and Gilead, they are to the east of the Jordan River and to the east of the Sea of Galilee. And this is a lush, fertile land that the Israelites, after they came out of their slavery in Egypt, went up to Gilead and Bashan and was like, oh, this is just a beautiful, lush land. It's this symbolism of God taking care of us and that he would take care of us in miraculous ways. Look at what he says in verse 15. This is God's response to Micah's prayer. As in the days when you came out from the land of Egypt, I will show you miracles. I will show you how I work. I will show you how I am a great shepherd. I will show you how I want, how I will lead your life. I will show you. I think one of the greatest women in my lifetime that has ever stood up against injustice and stood up for justice, particularly when it came to the poor, was Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa was amazing. I, I remember her uh, when she was alive. She died on September 5th. Uh, 1997. But something happened last September that was huge for Mother Teresa in the Catholic Church. On September 4th, just about a month ago, the Catholic Church canonized uh, Mother Teresa as a saint in the Catholic Church. Now, according to Catholic teachings, what that means is now she is in heaven and she can see the face of God and according to Catholic teachings, that means that now you can pray to Mother Teresa and ask her to intercede for you. Now, I want to be clear, gently clear about this. That is not from the Bible. That's from Catholicism and what it teaches. But what is fascinating about Mother Teresa is that after her death, her writings revealed that during her lifetime, she never really felt like the Lord was her shepherd. She wrote to an archbishop, she wrote these words, she said, Please pray that our Lord may show himself, for there is such a terrible darkness within me, as if everything was dead. It has been like this, for this more or less, for the time, from the time I started the work. 
This is like toward the end of her life. She struggled. Another quote from her, same, another letter to this archbishop. Such deep longing for God and repulsed, empty, no faith, no love, no zeal. Heaven means nothing. In over 40 letters that Mother Teresa wrote, she wrote of dryness, and darkness, and loneliness, and even being tortured, and the disappearance of any feelings of a connection to Jesus. Mother, Mother Teresa, I wonder why. Why, why. why did she struggle? Because the Bible teaches that the, the Lord wants to be our shepherd in miraculous ways. Um, he wants to do it through his word, through his spirit, through the fellowship of one another. Mother Teresa was lonely by her own admission. She confided in the archbishop that was above her, like confessing her sins to him. But I wonder how much she allowed the other women of the missionaries of charity in Calcutta, her primary place, or other places where I wonder how much she allowed them into her soul, into her heart. You know, God wants to shepherd us, and he uses one another in community, like we were talking about earlier with community, uses one another to, to help us go below the surface. But we have to be open, and we have to be honest, and we have to give grace and mercy and love and create that kind of environment so that we can be open and honest with one another. So we have things like home discipleship groups, HDGs we call them, where, where we get together in community with one another and we get to know one another in each other's lives. We have things like character development, also known as C. We always seem to shorten things to just letters, CD. We have journey classes. We have other offerings where we get together and we go below the surface and we really allow the Spirit of God to stir in us so that we can see His shepherding hand in our lives. Micah concluded with why we can trust the Lord as our shepherd. Jump down to verse 18. He says to the Lord, Who is a God like you who pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellious acts? The, uh, of the remnant of his possession. The answer to that that he wants is no one. No one God is like you. Because uh, he does not retain his anger forever. Because he delights in unchanging love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. Yes, you will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. God is so good. He's a good shepherd. He's so good that he doesn't count our sins against us, that he casts them into the depths of the sea, rescuing us from our lostness, from our darkness, from our brokenness. Why is God so kind to us? Why is he so kind to us? Because, as Micah points out, he is a God who keeps his promises. Look at what it says in the last verse of Micah, verse 20. You, God, will give truth to Jacob and unchanging love to Abraham. Jacob was uh, a descendant of Abraham. Which you swore 
to our forefathers from the days of old. You, you promised our forefathers this kind of love. You, you promised that you would treat us this way. And so here's the main point that I want us to get this morning. If you don't get anything else, get this point. God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, through the power of His Spirit, the Holy Spirit, keeps His promises. Period. He keeps them. People will let us down. They, they, will, they will break their promises. You and I will break our promises that we make to others. But it is impossible for God to break His promises. So, have you experienced His faithfulness in your life? Have you known that He has been the rock in your life, even when others seem to let you down? Have we known and experienced His shepherding leadership? Have we experienced that? If the answer to those questions is yes, yes, and amen, yes, then you and I must not keep that to ourselves. We must not say, well, I'm so glad that God loves me and He keeps His promises to me. I'm so thankful for that. That is selfishness. We've got to go out and tell the world about Him. We've got to go out and tell the world about how wonderful our great shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, is to us.